Welcome to the Cancel This Podcast, where we discuss stories that a lot of people might be a little too scared to talk about, or not. Why? Because we love talking about topics that are relevant, and more importantly, Christ-centered. And we bring Christ in the center of anything you do. Let's be honest, you can't cancel this. Today's guest is my good friend, Scott Brown. Scott, I have to hold up the paper and read it because your bio is just so amazing here. You're a deputy with the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office for 19 years. You're a husband to an amazing wife, dad to three boys, and a follower of Christ who is very active in his church. Scott, welcome to the Cancel This Podcast. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, you don't have to fib about being an honor. Let's keep it real now. We're really good friends. Okay, <laughs> Scott, we, we, we met, what, about, I'd say, oh, 10 to 12. Uh, our kids are, what, 15 now? Your boy's 15? Uh, he's 13, and I think we met when he was five. Yeah, so there you go. So we've been friends. We'll call it 10 years. It keeps yeah. it easy. So the reason Scott and I met was our kids played sports together, and he found out as a fireman, and like all cops, they want to be firemen, so we sparked up a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, buddy. Um, our kids were playing sports together, and you know we found we had a lot in common because me working in Oakland in a busy area and Scott working in Sacramento County in very busy areas, we, we just quickly bonded. A lot of our stories kind of meshed together because even though we joke about the whole cop and fireman thing, we're all brothers and sisters out there, firefighters and police officers, deputies, patrol people. We're, we're all brothers and sisters out there. And Scott and I just started telling stories and, and it kind of came together. Would you agree, Scott, with that assessment of that's how we kind of met? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've always looked at, uh, you know, firemen as our, you know, the cousin we don't necessarily talk about. Um, but we all, yeah, we, we, I mean, we're two sides of the same coin is how I've always looked at it. I mean, you know, we immediately can go to a room with a firefighter, a medic, a cop from across the country, and immediately we have something in common and we bond almost immediately. And that's how you right, do I agree. You know, there comes something to serving others. And even if you're not in a first responder role, EMS, police officer role, you know, being a first responder and serving other people, no matter where you are in life, it's just a common bond that draws us all together. So that's awesome, man. So I appreciate the joking and the going back and forth. Anyways, you know, I remember we were talking one time and you weren't there for a, it was like a baseball game that we had going on or practice. I can't remember what it was. And I got a text from your wife, Liz, and she says, hey, this thing that's going on, this this event that's going on, um, Scott was part of it. And my heart dropped. And when I say this event that Scott was part of, it was a really rough day out here in the Sacramento uh, County Placer region. Scott, can you uh, um, go back to that day if you wouldn't mind and uh, just tell us a little about it? Yeah. Um, so it was October 24th, um, 2014. At about 10.20 in the morning, uh, my partner and I, uh, Danny Oliver, um, we'd known each other for 10 plus years, partners off and on throughout our careers, vacation together, that kind of thing. Anyway, we were rolling together that day. We were heading towards a Motel 6, um, and I'm sure most of the people could nod anywhere they're at that Motel 6 is in there area aren't the best. Um, so we rolled there looking for bad guys as we did. Um, we were part of a smaller unit. We uh, roll up on a car. Uh, Danny was driving. I was passenger. He gets out. Approaches the driver's side. Um, I move around to the passenger 
And while I'm dealing with the passenger, um, I hear about six to eight shots ring out from the driver's side of the car. Um, immediately go into fight or flight type stuff, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm drawing, I'm looking for what's going on. I don't see Danny anymore. Um, as I'm kind of getting myself together, a suspect comes over the hood of the car. I'm near the back trunk. He's by the front door, levels nine millimeter at me and fires nine rounds at me. Um, can feel the rounds going by my neck, head, ear, that kind of thing. Uh, return fire. He ducks down. As I'm uh, going to go around the car to reassess, he comes out with a, an AR-15. Um, I realize I'm in the middle of a parking lot with no cover and a nine millimeter with three rounds left in it. So uh, I take cover, get some radio traffic out, come up with a game plan to reattack the the suspect, go back at him um, before he can flee. Um, as I'm executing that plan, um, I see the car back up and start to take off. So I start. I readjust and go towards the car. Um, it bounces like it went over a curb. Um, it didn't. He, uh, he ran over Danny at that point. Um, and then uh, took off around the corner uh, before I could get another clean shot off at him. Okay, so, I mean, we're talking a matter of seconds or less than a couple minutes, correct, from the time when the you heard the first shot to the car driving away? Would I you, want to say it was less than two minutes. Less than two minutes. So... I want to go as far as we can, but I don't want to make it too tough on you, but I kind of want to unpack this a little so the person hears it because like a firefighter, if you ask me about a fire scene or a police officer, you ask about a scene, we're going to stay quote kind of clinical, if you will, because we want to just, you know, buy the book and write out the report. But I want to ask you, so you heard the first shots go off. What, what runs through your mind personally? I don't want to put you in a group of all police officers or all deputies, what went through your mind when you heard that pop, pop, pop? I mean, it was very, very surreal. I think it it, it obviously happened in, in the matter of, you know, milliseconds. But mm-hmm. I remember having these conversations in my head about, is that really what's happening right now? Is that really mm-hmm. gunfire? It wasn't the first time I'd heard it. And it actually wasn't the first time I'd been shot at. But um, it, it took quite a I felt like it t- took a long time to even process what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then to realize I couldn't see Danny standing next to the car anymore and processing mm-hmm. that. And I went through, I felt like a million emotions um, before he even popped up and started firing at me or before I even started returning fire. It, it felt like a lifetime. Right. So you're at the back of the, the car and he pops off some more shots at you. Then I've always, I wanted to know this because people ask me when you go into a burning building, are you scared? And I'll be honest, there's a lot of times, scared but there's times when you're confronted with that fire you know that big one we're like oh my gosh is it did fear hit you at that moment or did you just fall back on your training honestly uh everything happened so fast and with adrenaline and just trying to stay alive i I don't remember feeling fear i might have um but i don't remember feeling fear until like afterwards when everything sank in and and it was more fear for having to talk to danny's widow and you know just a million other things, but fear in the actual incident right at that time, it was started and ended so quickly. I, it didn't register if I did fear it, feel it at the time. So, and I'm not trying to be macho and say that I didn't, but no, you're not being Scott. You're so not being macho at all, but these are things on the cancel this podcast. I want to talk about because, you know, we, we hear about the, the police service nationwide and how people are responding to the work that, that our officers have to do. And I never 
want to isolate on just one incident where we can all kind of look at it and say, you know what, this was kind of a bad deal. And, and those bad deals usually get handled. What I want to do is show people what you guys go through, you guys and gals go through on an everyday basis trying to keep us safe while risking your lives and doing so. So I so appreciate that. So he drives off, right? And Danny's there. What what transpired next? So once I finally rounded the, the corner of where I was running and, and cleared the last car, I finally saw Danny. Um, and, um, yeah, he was laying in the middle of the parking lot. Um, gun still in horse holster. He never got it out. And uh, he had a hole just above his eyebrow um, in his head and a lot of blood. Okay. So he, I mean, just so the folks understand, this was a straight up ambush. You guys were doing your job. Yeah. We got ambushed by pure evil. Let's just keep it at that, that it was pure evil that ambushed you. Because people like to sometimes say, oh, you know, human beings are capable of this. Well, yeah, we're the vessels. But I truly believe a lot of times there's just pure evil in this world that folks in my line of work and your line of work have seen. And I would have to say that this character that shot Danny would fit that pure evil category. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. He, he actually had a to-do list and on that list was kill cops. Um, and from the moment he committed that crime along with several others, cause the day continued on and all the way through the trial three and a half years later, right. not only did he not show an ounce of remorse, but he actually, perpetuated the violence uh, verbally yeah. and trying to just cause as much damage as he could never at one point. We'll hit that too. Cause I definitely want to talk about that. Cause that's a major part of it. So um, my guess is you, you have medical training as do I, you had a pretty good idea when you approached Danny, what the outcome was going to be. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been on at that point, I've been on about 14 years and seen uh, many gunshot wounds, several to the head, a lot of, a lot of dead bodies. Um, as soon as I saw him and I won't go too much into those no. details, um, I, I knew instantly he was, there was nothing I could do and he was right. gone. Um, and it turns out later that I found out that he was gone before he even hit the ground. Yeah. And, and a, a hero take a rose. Cause I mean, t tell us a little bit about Danny, this, this, cause right now he's just an officer who was, you know, assassinated. Let, let's talk about Danny. Tell me a little something about him. Danny was one of those guys that you either liked him or you didn't. Um, he was very straightforward. You know, they say people kind of represent their dogs. Um, he owned a British bulldog and they looked a lot alike. They were short and squatty and just, he was tough as nails, but he was very loyal. Um, there's a, uh, I mean, he was part of our problem oriented policing team. So he loved the community. He was always out there trying to make it better. Um, but he was a traveler too. He was married to his wife, Susan, had his two daughters. And I mean, we always gave him a hard time, called him the vacationers club. Because he was always taking his vacation, going to his last trip was to Egypt, saw the pyramids. Right. He right. lived his life because he wanted to fill it all in there. And it was, and it didn't bother the people, it didn't bother him that some of us gave him a hard time for it, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we, we jokingly in the fire department, we have that guy that, you know, with some of us, we don't get to travel as much for whatever reasons because we have other things on it. So we always called him the international man of leisure. You know, the guy the firehouse, like, bro, what are you, the international man of leisure? Come on, you know? So, so, I get that. So, so he was a, a, a dad and a husband, obviously a, a son and everything. And it was taken, man. So at that point, your physical aspect of trying to apprehend the suspect is over. 
EMS, everyone comes around. How, how long were you alone there until folks got to you, backup got to you, other people showed up? Um, well, actually, or how it felt. Um, I mean, I felt like I was there for, I mean, the time seemed to stand still. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember hearing the sirens. Um, I remember getting pulled off of Danny's body because I was there trying to render whatever aid I could, which right. I knew was impossible. And then thrown in a, a detective sergeant's car and then eventually hauled off to our detective division. But I mean, in all actuality, I was probably maybe there after I called it out. Um, we have the actual times, but I want to say it was yeah. like two to five minutes. I mean, it wasn't long right, at all. No, that's, but um, that's a huge amount of time. I mean, you know, and, and so the listener can kind of understand what's going on. Whenever we pull up to the scene of something that bad happened, like a car accident where someone's trapped, I've never heard anyone on scene say, wow, you guys got here quick, even though we did, because that two to five minutes that you're talking about is excruciating time because now you're sitting there with the aftermath of what just happened and there's no help and you're it. And then when you're in that helpless situation, I understand what what you're talking about there, you know, which again, it's one of the reasons why so many first responders, I just keep preaching and teaching and talking to them as do you why it's so important for us to fall back on the Lord. You know, this is an extreme situation, but there, there's just so many things that you guys have to deal with that, you know, at, at times all you got is Lord. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, uh, definitely. And, and I don't even think I realized it at that exact moment, right. how much that was right. going to come into play hours afterwards, weeks, months, years. It was mm-hmm. cornerstone so, of me being able to talk to you right now. Right. So, not to spend too much time on it, because I know you weren't there. He left. He did some other things. What, what did the remainder of this evil man's day look like before he was apprehended? So the, the abbreviated abridged version would be uh, he left there, went maybe a mile and a half down the road, tried to carjack this civilian. Uh, when the civilian said no, he shot him in the face. I think it was five or six times. He lived, thank goodness. Um, then carjacked another female, didn't shoot her, but took her car. Uh, his wife, by the way, was with him the whole time, transferring guns, doing this, that, the other thing. Went a couple more miles down the road, um, carjacked another truck, um, didn't shoot him, and then headed up towards the Auburn region, which is, I don't know, what'd you say? What'd you say? 45, an hour out of second? Yeah, 45. Yeah, 45 minutes up the road. Would be yeah, good. so he went up there, got kind of lost, um, was transferring plates, um, got contacted by Placer County Sheriff's Office. I had a shootout with them, actually stole one of their patrol cars. And then that's when Detective Mike Davis and his partner, Mike Simmons, got behind him, not knowing they were following the suspect because he was in a patrol car, um, went to a cul-de-sac. And when they all jumped out thinking they were looking for a suspect, they didn't even look at that car. He opened fire on them, uh, ended up uh, killing Detective Mike Davis with the same AR he pulled out on me, wounding another officer before fleeing down a gully and a couple other mountainous areas and then into a house. Um, where SWAT showed up, um, surrounded it, filled it full of gas, and then eventually he crawled out on his back and gave up. Right. And just so we're clear, all this is public knowledge. People can read about it. It's, yes. it I don't want to say it was a big story because it still is a big story and stuff. And so so people can obviously, you know, read more about this. So I'm going to ask you now, this evil person that killed two officers, injured tons more, and let's be honest, mentally affected generations of people just from – a few hours at a time. What was his name and what was he all about? Uh, so the suspect, his name was uh, Louis Bracamontes. Um, at the time, we didn't know his name because he had several aliases, had been deported at least two to three times that we know of. 
um, had several prior charges of drug dealing down in Arizona, grew up in the Sinaloa era of Mexico and was associated with the Sinaloa cartel. Meth user, philanderer, cheated on his you know, wife, was one of the big stories and some other stuff. Um, so he wasn't a legal citizen, wasn't a legal citizen. Correct? He was not. And the guns were owned illegally as well. Yeah, it kept coming back. All right. Okay, so he's now captured. He's in prison. Let's let's fast forward for a while, and let's talk about the court case. But before we get deep into that, where were you during this time, mentally, physically, and spiritually, between the time of the shooting to him going to court? How how were you doing? Uh, it was, I mean, one of the craziest roller coasters you can picture. That was my emotional state. Um, I went from depression to, you know, survivor's guilt to post-trauma, sleeping 30 minutes a night, nightmares, waking images. Like when I would talk to you, I'd be seeing Danny's face. Um, you know, no crowds, loud noises, all that stuff. Uh, my stomach tore up. Heartburn so bad, I thought I had an ulcer. You, you, you know, like I said, I, I've never experienced, like, a fire's never shot back at me. I want to be clear. Right? I've never had, I've had to deal with some really bad people, but you guys, and this is where all jokes off the table, cops are our heroes, right? Because they do protect us firefighters. Well, vice versa, we protect them also. So it's that, that brotherhood. But where I want to go with this so the listener gets it is, Everyone is scared to talk mental illness, talk stigma, because you're supposed to be a superhero. When I put on my helmet, my coat and all this stuff at the fire department before I left due to my injury, I was supposed to be a superhero. And superheroes aren't allowed to have weaknesses. They're not. And to talk about those times and talk about it's true mental illness you're going through. I'm not saying it's a diagnosed forever and you're, you're a nut for the rest of your life. Excuse my language. Cause I know that's not proper terminology, but it, it's a major thing that sticks with you that you can work your way through. But during the time, it's a rough place to be, huh, bro? Oh yeah, definitely. And, 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 you know, like you said, cops and firefighters, we have this persona of robots, right? We, we don't, we were emotionless creatures. People said all the time, Oh, he, you know, he, he didn't, I, I appealed to his better nature and he ignored me. Right. Well, uh, on duty, we, we have to be that way in, in some respects and especially on right. some of these tragic events, because, you know, you show up and they're asking for your help on some sort of violent scene. If you're losing yourself and crying and, you know, mm-hmm. you can't control yourself, that obviously doesn't instill a lot of confidence and you're not going to get your job done. But right. the problem right. is, is we, have that same persona when we get home, when we leave, when we go to our families and our churches. And that's where we're failing miserably because you can't see these kind of things. You can't do these kind of things and hold it all in all the time without some sort of release or something to, you know, give you hope. And, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of that, and you hold it all in, it's a poison inside of you. And, um, you know, we need, whether it's a one incident or a hundred thousand incidences, you got to unload at some point. And that's where I think the, the process of mental help and just going and talking to somebody and peer support, right. all that comes right. in huge. Well, that's what I try to bring up to people is as you know, and everyone knows you and I are followers of Christ. So we truly believe that if something isn't grounded in Christ, ultimately it's, it might fall apart because we created it. But if it's grounded in Christ, we're going to fall back into his arms. But with that being said, And like you, I also deal with a lot of first responders deal with PTSD. I don't want them to ever look at me and say, oh, well, I'm not a Christian, so the help's not going to work. And I say, no, 
go get that help, get that help. Because I go to the same counseling as other people go to. I just have the spiritual side where it's all grounded in Christ that I say, you know, God created all things. God created science, which created psychology, and I believe in it. But when certain aspects of it fall apart, I love the fact that you and I have Christ to fall back into. So that's that's a huge thing I love to to tell people, but I also don't want to deter them from reaching out to whatever's going to work for them, get the help, you know, reach out to you, reach out to me, that kind of stuff, reach out to their CISM teams, you know. Does that kind of make sense, bro? Yeah, and, and I've, I've always looked at mental health as kind of like if you look at it like a puzzle, right? You can put together... 95% of that puzzle and it's still a beautiful picture, but it's not complete. And I feel with Christ in my life that that's that extra piece that makes it all complete and just well, brings so. it all together. Right. Whereas you well, can still, you, and same thing with like the help, right? You can still get the help and it's still going to have its uh, effect on you and you're still going to get mm-hmm. good out of it, but you're going to get that much more. It's going to be a complete picture if you get the right. mental help and you have Christ in your life. Right. Cause he's going to be the one that won't fail us. Ever. Even when we fail ourselves and we fail following the treatment that we got, Christ will never fail us. He'll always respond to us. And a lot of times his response will be, go get that help again. <laughs> you know, go go reach out to, to the healthcare worker. So so good, bro. So to, to kind of put the time frame from the shooting when Danny, you know, just lovingly gave his life to this world trying to protect us to the point where court happens. You fell into Christ's arms, and I know there's a lot going on there, but I want to talk about now what happened in the court case and some major things there, because you did write a book about this, correct? I did. I yeah. Did. And your book, I want to make sure I have it right, um, Facing Evil, A Cop's Story of Murder, Mayhem, and the Aftermath. So we're talking about the murder, the mayhem. The aftermath to me goes on forever personally because this guy created things and I know he's an evil man and I'm going to constantly pray for everyone. He's a hard one for me to pray for, but I'm going to pray. So with that being said, you had to face his evilness in court. What was that like? Yeah, it's hard to explain to people, um, but it was actually, in my opinion, in the long run, actually a lot harder because in the parking lot, I didn't have time to think about it. I didn't know anything ahead of time. And it was over before it began kind of thing. In the courtroom, I had three and a half years to think about it, to picture it, to think about what he was going to say, what he was going to do, what I was going to say, what I was going to do. And it, it just, and I it wore on me. I mean, I was holding this weight of this court testimony and thinking that if I messed it up, the whole thing, and he was going to get away and all this other stuff, which wasn't true. But just building myself up, it was, I was a wreck building myself up to this thing. And, and it took so long to go to trial and then listening to appeals, you know, for change of venue and insanity and getting upset over them, even though I know it, their standard procedures, I've been on the cop side of these kind of trials all the time, but this was the first time I was listed as a victim and cops, Ooh. firemen, probably the same way. We don't do the victim role very well. Um, so I had to adjust to that. Um, and then wow. leading up to the trial, uh, leading up to the testimony, I was watching some of the, some of his antics. I mean, smiling, laughing, threatening jurors, threatening the judge. Um, and then, uh, you know, we knew that that was probably what was going to happen when it came time to testify. And uh, so he was sitting next to his lawyer, right in the defendant's area. My guess would be shackled up probably. Um, and he was still making threats to people around him. Yeah. So, I, I mean, to other people. And then for me specifically, the first time I testified, 
I started to get going. He started laughing at first, making comments under his breath. And then eventually he started yelling, you know, do you want to know what your partner said before he was killed? You killed him. You're a coward. I wish I would have killed more. And some several foul language things about Danny that I, I'm not even going to bother repeating right now. Some of them are in the book, but uh, they're just not something that needs it. But anyway, he was just, and all that stuff, all the way as he's being let out, because the after he got let out, he went down these stairs to this room where he had to watch it on a TV for a little while. And I mean, the whole way down the stairs, screaming and yelling at me too. I like to think he was just mad at me because I shot him because I hit him. So, um, right. Well, he's saying this stuff to you, man. What are you feeling at that moment? I mean, dude, I, 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 I know it's, it's cliche, but I couldn't imagine, dude. So what, what were you feeling when he's saying these things about Danny calling you a coward? Call, I mean, what was running through your mind at that moment? It was tough because, I mean, I, I testified, you know, probably a thousand times at this point, And I was one of those weird guys that didn't mind court, didn't mind testifying. Right, right. But I know I remember before going into it, I knew he was going to say some stuff just because of what I'd heard prior. And so I prepared myself mentally. I'd said, you know what? As much as I want to react to this guy, if I react, not only am I giving him another win, which I can't do, right? I felt like he kind of had a win that day the day of, but I'm not going to give him any more satisfaction, any win. So I'm not going to react to him. And then if I do, and I react inappropriately or, or something in you know, into those regards, I'm dishonoring my God, because I'm a representative of Christ. And if I do something unchristlike, especially in a situation like that, where it's national media, I'm, I'm totally dishonoring, you know, Christ and, and, and him. I'm dishonoring my department. I'm dishonoring my family, my wife and everything that I stand for. And I wasn't about to let that happen. Now, inside, I was cussing up a storm. I was, you know, jumping over the thing and, and in my mind picture and going up and wailing on him. But I knew better. And that's a diff- That's one of the biggest differences I feel between the person on the stand and the person sitting there in shackles, the good guys, the bad guys, the cop versus the criminal. However you want to put, put us into dynamics, right? That's the biggest difference is we might have those thoughts, but we're not going to act on them. You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. What you said there was so profound on the way that you interpreted and responded to everything that was happening there that obviously internalizing, I don't care who you are, you're a human being. We're all going to go through those feelings. But I want people to listen to what Scott just said. I mean, seriously, rewind back to that part of what his response was to that man's evilness that he was spewing out. And when you ever hear this cancel culture nonsense of defund the police, do all this stuff because of some super, super, I'm talking super rare instances, which were bad, but they're next to nothing. I want you to think of the 99.99% of the officers out there. And I want you to think of what Scott just said, because that's what they're having to deal with, my friends. 
And, and this is why we have to look for the good of what they do. By all means, the nonsense that happens, let, let's take care of it. Just like in the fire service, if someone does something wrong, let's own it, let's move on from it. But let's not put that wrongness on other people and make it an agenda. Because I'm telling you, my friends, I have dealt with police officers my entire career. And what Scott just put out there is what I have seen, but he just has brought it into words in a way that I couldn't. So thanks, Scott, for sharing that. And I just had to get that little uh, um, piece of commentary out there. So he's doing all this. Now let's take it where court's over for the day. You go home and now you got to be a dad and a husband and be there with your wife. How did Liz support you during this time? And I don't want to go too much there because there's so much richness in this that I want wives to also listen to. I mean, everyone's listening to it, but we're going to bring you and Liz back together and have you guys talk about this together. But how did she help you through and what are some things you did on your own to make your way through this time when you had to go back to dad rule and husband rule after being basically tormented all day? Well, and you know this, but short of my wife, I mean, I'm going to brag. She's amazing. And I definitely married up. Um, yeah. You know, these incidents. I'll agree to that, dude. Yeah, you, he did, my friends. He really <laughs> did. These incidents don't just happen to the, the officer themselves, like me, right? It happened to my wife. It happened to my kids, my brother, my sister, my mom and dad, my in-laws, everybody. It happened to everybody in my family. And it, it just, I mean, and I can't even explain or even put into proper words how much they were affected by it. But they were also the ones that helped me, like you said, go back and be a dad because I had to go back and Liz knew that afterwards, right? I, I'm not going to go straight into it. So should we develop this kind of, Hey, he needs 30 minutes, a half hour, an hour, whatever it is, depending on how bad the day was. So let's give dad some time. And I would go to a quiet place and I would pray. I would read my Bible. I would read a book. I would, you know, watch the stupidest movie I could find. Spaceballs was right. my jam right then. Right. Cause totally. Yeah. Dumb and something I could laugh at. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then she said, when you're, when you feel ready, come back out, but you got to be ready to be a dad. You can't come back out and be angry and cranky because I did that too. I made several mistakes along the way. I'm not going to sit here and sunshine and roses and we did it perfectly. I made plenty of mistakes. Well, Liz but did said, it when Scott was the one screwed it up the whole way. So we're clear on that. Yes. Oh yeah. No, Liz was the same. <laughs> and the reason I'm going there is because when I was going through my struggles in the fire department, I remember I'd be driving home from the firehouse after something really bad. Just thinking of ways to fight with Christy. Think about that, bro. I have an angel sitting at home like you, married way up too good for me. And now I'm thinking about ways to, to fight with her. So that's why I want folks to hear that. The time to off gas. The time to take the time. The time so your spouse recognizes you need that. But let's be honest, dude. We still have to be husbands. There's a time that we have to put that aside and step back into the role and not just let them serve us, correct? Yes. And... And having them, not only was it, like I said, it was hard to go from being that stressed out and angry. And like, I mean, when I walked out of there, I was shaking. I was so upset because I had to hold it in, right? Like I said, but to come back home and, and then, like you said, be that gentle father, that, that play with the kids or whatever it is. But it was also a blessing in that regard because no matter how upset I was, as soon as I walked in the door, those three little boys, they all they wanted to do was play with me. I was smiling, right. hugging, let's go play ball. Let's ride a bike. Let's go in the back okay. and dig a hole and right. make a mud pie or whatever it was. Right. And and it's hard to be upset when you have that right in your face because they're innocent. They're so pure and they're not as touched by it. They were touched by it, but as touched. And so they just want right. their dad. And it, it motivates you to get yourself right 
and to become that dad that they want because you want to be that for them. You don't want to let them down. And, and just having them was amazing. And then, of course, like I said, Liz gave me so much grace during all that time. Um, it was amazing and, and needed. But when I needed to be called on something, she got to the point where the grace went away and she called me on it, which was needed as well. Totally. No, I agree. Because I remember it was shortly after the incident. I remember we were back at the ballpark and I was like, I already know you talked to hundreds of people. You had a support system around you. And I just remember when I walked up to you, I just said, dude, I'm here. You know, I'm here because I didn't want to. Hey, bro, throw something more on you. Because sometimes I truly feel from the outside in when someone's gone through something traumatic, we want to make it better. And so I think there's a good thing that we can pick up and teach other people is just be that tool in the toolbox if needed. You know, instead of, hey, can I help you there? Because then the person who's hurting feels like now they have to give you grace by giving you a chance to help me. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's like, no, just be there and I will reach out to you if needed. You know, like with you and I going out for a beer and just hanging out. Well, you also know our, our feelings on it. If we need a beer, we're going to talk about why we need a beer before we get to the beer. Right. But just being there for people when they're going through things, because not everyone is a cop, not everyone's a firefighter, not everyone goes through, but the pain that comes from the suck of this fallen world, in my opinion, is equal. Some of us just to go through different experiences. Do you think that's a true assessment? I do. I do. And, and one thing that we found with, you know, you, you see all this bad. It was amazing. and It was honoring that all these people came out of the woodwork to help. Um, but like you said, it was overwhelming. And what we've kind of learned over the years and once we started helping other people as well is, Instead of giving a generic, hey, what can I do to help you? Because now they got to think about it. And like you said, they feel a little, they start developing stress to like, now I got to come up with something to make them feel better to help me, right? Instead, find a need and just say, hey, my kid's going to come over and mow your lawn this weekend. Hey, we're going to bring a meal over Thursday night. Hey, can I pray for you right now? You know, that kind of stuff. And, and, And every time we just developed the fact that they wanted to help us, they wanted to be with Danny and they couldn't. I was the closest thing. So instead of saying, you know, too proud to say yes, that was part of their healing too. We kind of realized that helping us was part of these people's healing as well. So we learned Mm -hmm. to just say yes. And it was an amazing experience. Um, You know, and then when we decided it was too much, hey, can we bring something over tomorrow? You know what? We have plenty right now. We appreciate it. This is again in three to four months. And a lot of them did. And it was an amazing feeling because after a while, that support, and it's through no fault of their own, you get all this right away. And then it slowly dies off. And so when somebody came back six months later or when the trial was coming up, hey, I know you got something coming up. You're going to be stressed out. Can we take the kids out for a play date so you and Liz can have a date night? Right. Oh, I mean, that was like giving us. Right. You know, that's huge, man. So let's then we'll we'll transition back in. So the trial, I mean, I want to keep he he was basically that evilness the whole way through the trial. And and like I said, people can grab your book Facing Evil to, to learn more about it. I'm telling you, my friends. This book is so good on a level that it it shows you some insight that most of us don't have. So pick it up. But when he went through all of this, he was found guilty, right? And I'm not giving anything up and stuff. He was found guilty. And what, what was his sentence? So he was found guilty on murdering Danny, which was a death penalty. He got found guilty for murdering Mike um, Davis, which was death penalty. He got found guilty, well, on all counts, um, uh, three counts of attempted murder, 
uh, once on the civilian, two on officers. I was one of those. Um, and that was three 15 to life that he got. And then for all the related guns, shooting, trafficking, all the other charges that went along on the side stuff, he got another 375 years. And literally the day the trial ended, by the end of that calendar day, he was sitting in a cell in San Quentin. Right, right. And let's folks know we're in California, so there's no chance of him ever going through the death penalty would be a whole nother story there. But at least he's locked away and and he's not bringing physical harm to anyone because uh, the, the other officer's name was Mike Davis, right? Yes. Yeah. So Mike Davis and Danny and man, a couple of huge heroes, you guys, everyone that, that, you know, confronted this man, you know, put him in a place where now he can't go down that list of wanting to bring harm to other people. So we could get really upset with the way that politics are going on. And maybe, you know, you have a belief of the death sentence or you don't have a belief of the death sentence wherever it lands. What I want people to walk away with hope from this story is that by the actions of our heroic officers and ultimately going through the court system, this man doesn't have any opportunities now to hurt people, innocent people outside of whoever he runs into in San Quentin. Would that be a, true statement that you could kind of get on board with? Yeah, that's, that's a hundred percent accurate. I mean, like you said, being in California, I'm a realistic guy, right? I I know that there's a high likelihood based on his age and mine that I will probably go meet my maker before he does. Uh, Granted, I don't want to be standing next to him when he does, because that's not going to go well unless something changes dramatically. But like I said, we believe, so just, you know, Scott and I are believers, so we're not condemning this man, but they're, he, he hasn't repented. He hasn't come to the Lord. So that's where we're staying with right now. That's where he's at. So I'm in agreement with you that that man's going to burn eternally in hell unless he makes the ultimate choice and, and repents and becomes new to Christ. So that's yeah, my, my ultimate goal, knowing that as we go into this trial was yes, just, just the guilty verdict and that he wouldn't be outside in the outside world to harm, harm anybody else. Officers or civilians, it didn't matter because this guy's going to create damage and had um, prior wherever he goes. And, and just my ultimate goal was to make sure that he didn't have that opportunity ever again. And he doesn't. And, and I'm at peace with that. Right. Now, takeaways. I know we're always talking about takeaways. It's kind of a huge thing. But personally, I try to look back in parts of my life. And it's usually some of the roughest areas is where I have find the biggest messages. I, I think you do too, obviously. And that's why we're here talking And I've also learned that a lot of times the messages increase. Sometimes they tweak a little bit over time because God reveals more to us. What's a message you want to give people from everything you went through? A message of hope. So we just don't leave them with, wow, that was so tough and it was horrible and it's hideous. What's a message of hope you pulled out of this situation personally? And I know it's going to sound weird, like I said, based on the situation, but there was so much amazing things that the Lord did from that point on, you know, as we know, if, if you read through your Bible, almost all the good stories, all the good characters in that in the Bible have something major happen to them. They're going along fine. And then bam. Right. And then that's what changes them to do their calling. Right. And I feel like that's right. That's what this was for me in several aspects. I mean, I started leading a, a men's Bible study at church, which I would have never done. I never prayed in front of people before. And now I'm praying in front of 70, 80 people. Um, if you'd have told me that I was going to write a book, I'd have told you you were crazy. 
Dude, okay, let's stop. We have something in common right there. I tell people that all the time. If you were to walk into my firehouse 10 years ago, say, Jason, you're going to write a book. I would have laughed you out the front door. And if the laughing didn't push out, I might have physically escorted you out of the firehouse. Isn't that crazy how the Lord uses these situations, bro, to touch the multitudes, you know? So I just wanted to hop in there. So I'm in total agreement on that. Yeah, no, and it was amazing because it wouldn't happen if it weren't. And, they, and the Lord puts people in your lives to make sure that it goes the way it's supposed to. And you don't even realize it. Like when it happened, I was wondering, why did I live, right? That's a typical question for a lot of people through an incident like that. And I'm still not obviously 100% sure what that answer was, but I came to the piece that if it was, if the, simply the only reason was to raise three good boys to be men of God and, you know, be good to their wives and to help this country out, that's more than enough for me. But I slowly over time, I've realized that it's that, but it's also to help officers, to help other people through traumatic events because the simple act of sharing and saying, you know what? Me too. I felt that same thing. I, 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 I can understand. I don't know exactly what you're going through because every situation is different, but at least when you're describing the survivor's guilt or the nightmares and the stress and the panic attack, there, there's somebody there that can say, you know what? You're not alone. You're not crazy. That's normal. I've done that too. That's what this is all about for us now. I mean, joining peer support with our own department and, Liz and I speaking through an organization called Cops all over the country at their post-trauma conferences and talking to officers that I've never met before. And they're telling me their story that they've never told a single person in their entire life simply because I shared mine. And the weight off their shoulders when they're walking away from me is huge. And all I did was stand there and kind of nod and be like, oh, my gosh, that's horrible. Right. Isn't that amazing, dude, how, the, how that happens? You know, like when, when I wrote my book, The Rescuer, I, I wanted to use it to draw people to Christ. Obviously, that that's, you know, I think as Christians, that's everything we do. But there's other messages, just like the Bible. The Bible points us from, you know, Genesis all the way to the end of this book of Revelation um, to Christ. But within there, the messages, what he wants us to learn are amazing. And so we put those full like you did in your book. And that's what I did in mind. But what you just described there is it's so amazing how all of a sudden someone will open up and say, you gave me an opportunity to talk about this or, Hey, Jason, I've never mentioned this to anyone, but whoa. And, and, and it's not like it's impressive. You're happy that you wrote and you did it. But what I love is it just brings scripture to life because when God says, I want you to do this, just do it. Well, we do it, just do it. Right. Rip off Nike, just do it. And then we get to see the fruits in return of why he asked us to do it. So it isn't like I say, God, why do you want me to do this? It's, it's almost like in the police academy and the fire academy. Just shut up and do it. I'm commanding you to do this. I'm smarter than you. Just do it. And you will see the final outcome. And, and I see that in your writing. And I love that because, you know, your testimony, how it's, you know, just touching police and non-police alike. And you guys are just bringing a light onto such a rough area. Plus, I think that this book is coming out in such a perfect time because of all the, and, and you know, I don't want to get you in trouble with where you work, but I'll, I'll say out there, the defund nonsense, the defund nonsense, okay? That, that all of that stuff, it's so appropriate because it's going to give people a look into not just your life, but this is what our men and women out there in blue are doing every single day, man. So I commend you for that. Scott, um, so Facing Evil, a cop story, murder, mayhem, and the aftermath. You got a copy there you can hold up and show everyone? Yeah, okay, there it is. You guys, I'm telling you, go grab a copy of this book. Um, Scott, where can they find it? Uh, so they can find it. There's several places. They can go just straight to Amazon. 
um, search it up. There's a couple books with similar names, but um, it's on there. Um, there's uh, digital and the paperback. We're also working on hardcover and somewhere down the road, hopefully an audio. Um, and cool. then they can also go to, I'm through this incident. I was a co-founder of a foundation called the Danny Oliver foundation. Um, our webpage, Danny Oliver foundation.org. You can go on there and order it. My wife's uh, joined. Uh, she's part of a nonprofit called how to love our cops. Um, it's going to be on their webpage and uh, you can order it from any one of those and uh, right. I ship right to your house. Yep. But yeah. And we'll have a link to all of those too. Oh, Scott. So more, too. Yeah, go for it. All right. Well, I, my wife would kill me if I didn't say this. We also <laughs> created our own page to kind of chronicle our journey through the book process yes. and down the road with our speaking. And it's uh, Scott and Liz Brown. Dot com. It's that easy. And there'll be a link on there as well for the book. Uh, 40, there's a 45 minute video of the first time we ever spoke. It's a little raw, but it's kind of, it gives you a general idea. And then we're going to, like I said, hopefully have some, some testimonials down the road, some pictures from our speaking engagements, just kind of, if you want to watch our journey, it's a great place to go do it. That's so good, man. And we're going to put links in to all of that stuff. So for those of you that if you missed all the WW dots and the comms and all that, just look into the, the notes there and you'll see we'll have them uh, listed in there where you can find Scott, Liz, and of course their amazing book. Scott, it was such a pleasure having you on this episode of the Cancelers Podcast. Have a great day, my friends. I will. Thank you very much. It was an honor. Hey there, it's Nicole Yunus, host of the How to Study the Bible podcast, where every single week we join together to encounter God through His Word. You can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.